Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller, thrilled as always to have you with us. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you'll know that you have to kind of listen to me as I give my updates on my favorite sports teams. And this week is no different as we take a minute to mourn the early departure of my North Carolina Tar Heels basketball team from the NCAA tournament. We got absolutely hammered by Texas A&M. We've had a good season, but, uh, you know, it's it's come to an end. So we're just hoping now that Duke doesn't win it. So, you know, that's the only thing we can hope for at this point. I was honored this week to be presented in my community with a Trendsetter Award. That was an exciting opportunity for me to go and to be recognized for the activities that our practice is doing in supporting kids in our community. It was done through our local newspaper, the Keene Sentinel. And so if you're interested in learning a little bit more about me, I'll put a link to the article that featured me in the show notes, and and you can read a little bit more about our practice and a little bit more about myself. But I know that you're here and you've tuned in today to hear Dr. Chris Feldman, our guest on the show today, who's just a fantastic orthodontist, a fantastic friend, and I'm really excited to bring him on the line here shortly. Before we do that, I wanted to spend a minute talking a little bit about financial versus managerial accounting. And boy, that sounds like a thrilling topic, doesn't it? There'll be many of you who know the difference between these two things. But for those of you who don't, I wanted to take a little bit of time to dive into why these are important concepts to understand. So let's start with financial accounting. Financial accounting is used to prepare reports that indicate the financial status of a business And it's primarily for the outside purposes, like applying for a loan or selling a practice or preparing tax returns. So financial accounting is backward looking and it's mainly for other people. And really, if you have an accountant who's working for you, this is really the minimum that your accountant should be providing. Some kind of historical statements, some tax preparation, these sorts of things. But there's another layer to accounting. And those of you with business backgrounds will know all about managerial accounting. And managerial accounting is used to make decisions about ongoing operations in a business. So, you know, you could ask important questions like, what should my budget be this quarter for clinical supplies? Or what is my production per day? Or what is my average cost of acquiring each new patient? And these are all questions that could be answered through managerial accounting. So this obviously requires a little bit more digging into our books and possibly our practice management data. However, this is where you can really learn something about how your practice operates and help you set goals for the future using your data to make business decisions. And it really puts you in the role of a bona fide business owner. So where does this managerial accounting come from? Where do we get these reports? For some, it could be your accountant providing you periodic reports that you review. For others, you might need to take the initiative yourself And you can start by asking a question like, how do I increase my daily production? And then dig into the numbers to start answering your question. I love QuickBooks Online because I have real-time access to any report that I want to run. But if you're not comfortable doing this on your own, you may need to switch to an accountant who can help you get the answers that are critical to running your practice. So in summary, make sure when you're thinking about accounting for your practice, that you're going beyond financial accounting and basic reports, and that you're realizing the value of managerial accounting in running your practice. We're going to get into the interview here with Dr. Feldman, but first a message from the sponsor of today's episode. 
This episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast is sponsored by the Aligner Intensive Fellowship Course, where together we will accomplish something greater. For orthodontists only, this course taught by Drs. Maz Mushiri and me, Jonathan Nikosesis, is a comprehensive four-month online course where you learn all things aligner therapy, from biomechanic principles to logistical systems for seamless office integration and the economics of more aligners in your practice. Think of it as a 12-chapter online dynamic textbook where the content is broken down in videos posted throughout each week, and you are able to ask questions in real time in a virtual classroom setting from the convenience of your own home or office on your own computer or cell phone without having to travel. With the ability of applying the course content to any aligner system or in-office solution of your choosing, the Aligner Intensive Fellowship is where together we will certainly accomplish something greater. This is an interview I've been looking forward to for quite a while. It's a privilege to have Dr. Christopher Feldman with us on the podcast. Before we bring Dr. Feldman on the line, let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Feldman is a native of Louisiana and graduate of the LSU School of Dentistry. He attended Jacksonville University for his orthodontic training, and he owns and operates two orthodontic offices that he started from scratch. A little less than four years ago, he opened his first office in New Iberia, Louisiana, which happens to be the home of Tabasco Sauce. And around two years ago, he opened a second location in a small growing town, Youngsville, Louisiana. Dr. Feldman is a huge Saints fan. Unfortunately, he was in attendance for their recent loss due to the Minnesota miracle. In his free time, he loves to travel. He's a big foodie, and he occasionally crossfits so that he can eat more. Dr. Feldman and his wife, Krista, welcomed their baby boy, Oliver, into the world this past August, so he's really enjoying the dad life recently. I've known Chris for a few years, and for those of you who are familiar with him, you'll know he is a guy who's really open, he's really honest, he's really generous. So without any further ado, Dr. Feldman, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. What's up, Lance? Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited. I'm so glad you're here, Chris. I know you and I know each other pretty well, but not all of our listeners do. Tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming an orthodontist and how you got to where you are today. Well, um, I'm sure my journey is pretty similar to a lot of people, a lot of other orthodontists. You know, I knew that I wanted to be an orthodontist since I was about 12 years old when I had my orthodontic treatment. You know, I had always knew that I wanted to work with people. I was kind of an extreme extrovert, I guess you can say, which can be a blessing and a curse. (laughs) But I knew I wanted to work with people and I was always interested in sciences and medical things. And that just kind of was a great blend of the two of them. So I made a commitment that, you know, I was going to become an orthodontist. I'm sure we've all gone through this where every, every level of school, I can remember my teachers and my parents telling me like, okay, you know, you did well in this level, but, but next level, you're going to really have to buckle down and it's not going to be so easy and it's, it's going to be tough. So it was in my mind that I was in a, almost like a competition. You know, every level was just another competition, another stepping stone to get to, to becoming an orthodontist. And, uh, it was going very smoothly through college. I, I had a good time. I learned how to study, but I also had a great time in college. And luckily I was able to, to excel. Dental school was a very rude awakening for me. I went in there pretty cocky, as some who know me could maybe imagine. But, um, I went in there thinking, you know, okay, I got this. I can do this. I can be top of the class. And I knew that to become an orthodontist, they pretty much wanted you to be a top of the class. Well, I forgot about hand skills. I never really considered what that would entail. And uh, I remember when we had to wax up our first teeth, I made a D on the first waxing and I was crushed. <laughs> and so I went and I practiced so much 
I thought I had a hang of it for the second one. And on the second practical, I made an F and I kind of sat back and I went home that day. I remember I skipped gross anatomy after that. I was heartbroken and really considering what was I going to be able to do this? Because I, I knew that I was in dental school to become an orthodontist. And I had told my whole class, this is what I want to do. It, it was, it, it got better. I ended up practicing even more and eventually brought that grade up to a B. But as those who want to be orthodontists know, like Bs aren't great. You know, we want to make all A's. I ended up coming out 15th out of 60 in my class. Great pat on the back, but that doesn't get you a ton of interviews when you're applying for ortho. Uh, I had a lot of extracurriculars. I was president of my student government for a couple of years. I was really involved with that type of stuff. But I applied for to about 30 schools and I, I only got a few interviews back. It was really scary. The whole process of dental school was scary for me because I was with people that were uh, smarter and more talented than me, to be honest with you. You know, the feeling of, of not knowing if you're going to be able to do what you want to do for the rest of your life is very scary and it's very humbling. Luckily, I, like I said, I got a few interviews and I got accepted to Jacksonville University and I took that offer and ran with it. You know, I'll never forget the day that I got accepted. I sat down and had a little a moment of reflection and I told myself that, you know, okay, I'm going to be an orthodontist. This is what I've worked and strived for my entire life. I'm going to be happy. You know, I'm, I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff anymore. I'm going to be an orthodontist and I'm never going to get to the point where I feel like I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not strong enough anymore. I'm going to jump in here because when I got my email to match for orthodontics, I was so nervous about the thing that I took my browser window and I scaled it down so that I could only read one line of the email at a time. <laughs> and so then I, yeah. I opened that email and I clicked down and it said, congratulations, you have matched at. Oh, man. And that was all I could read. <laughs> and, and I took like five minutes and my wife was there and we were like high-fiving and I was like, I'm going to be an orthodontist. I was so happy. I was so excited. I didn't care where I had matched to. I was just like, yes, I'm going to be an orthodontist. And then I scrolled down and it said St. Louis University. And of course, I was happy about that. But I wanted to just savor that moment before I even knew where I was going. Oh, yeah. Of just being like, yes, I've reached this goal. Yeah. And so I actually had done a fellowship. I was doing a one-year fellowship for the first year at Jacksonville. I kind of knew I was going to get in because most of the people who did the fellowship got in unless you really messed things up. And I actually had to withdraw from the match. And it, it's funny because that kind of ties into a whole other story is, is that I was always a, a homebody. As far as I was Lu Louisiana through and through, heart and soul, I wanted to go to LSU so bad. And it's a wonderful school, but I didn't get in and I had to live with that. You know, Jacksonville moving there, I remember the first six months of my fellowship I was homesick. I drove back home very often, uh, a 10 hour drive. And I was kind of feeling sorry for myself, but, but that awakening for me was the day and it was early December when I, when I got officially accepted into a residency. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to bellyache. I'm here. I'm going to love it. I'm going to love life. And it opened up so many doors for me. I, I became a, a traveler. I went to so many conferences. It was unbelievable. And, you know, when you're a resident, those companies are going to pay for you to go to the conferences. So that made it even sweeter. <laughs> but um, it was just great. And Jacksonville was an amazing school. It has a reputation. It's a private school. So a lot of the, the most sought after candidates, they go to other schools because they don't want to have to pay that much money. But let me tell you, I the education I got was amazing. The clinic was so busy. And, you know, I knew that I was going home to start my own practice. So... I wanted to see as many patients as possible, and it gave me the opportunity to do that. And I'm very thankful that I went there, moving out of state and moving out of my comfort zone, 
changed my life. And I got to throw in there a little personal thing is that, I, you know, through my, my love for travel, I, I went actually with some dental school classmates to a trip to Las Vegas. And uh, that's where I ended up meeting my wife. I met her there. She caught my eye and we, we talked and we hung out that weekend and we ended up doing a long distance relationship and she moved down to Louisiana and now she's my wife and we have a child together and it's been amazing. And maybe that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been pushed out of my comfort zone. So I'm, I'm just blessed, I guess you could say. Sure, sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, your decision to open a practice. Did you do that right out of school or what brought you to the decision? Hey, I want to do my own thing. I kind of always knew that. Once I got accepted to ortho school, once I knew I was going to be orthodontist, I know I have a strong personality. I knew I had a love for my hometown and there wasn't really a partnership opportunity there. Like I said, I wasn't looking back. Once I knew I was becoming an orthodontist, that, that confidence that I once had was back. I just did it. I don't know. I don't even really remember how, but I just, uh, I've had a great support from my parents and, and my amazing community. That definitely helped to make it easier, but it was fun. I just, I took everything in stride. It was, it was great. I was just happy. I was an orthodontist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love how you said you're an extreme extrovert. You know, you you talk (laughs) about going to dental school and maybe there are people that, you know, are real book smart people or have their study skills or their hand skills or whatever it is. But I talk a little bit about being a people person. I mean, I think that that is the most important thing you could be as an orthodontist. Yeah, uh, it's it's helped me out a ton. Um, Like I said, it's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes I talk too much. But uh, I love people. People give me energy. People give me inspiration. There's nothing better than people. I mean, what, what, that's all we have in this world, right? We have each other, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, some people, they'd rather go sit in their office or uh, work on their systems in their office. But I agree that I feel like the days where I get the most energy is when I'm out there talking, interacting. But I have to remind myself, I, I think I'm, I'm not an extreme extrovert, perhaps. Well, you're even keel, man. And that's a great thing too. <laughs> you know, but it's funny. My, um, one, one of my assistants the other day, I, I asked them, I said, can y'all kind of give me some criticism? What, what can I do better? And, uh, one of them, she said, Oh, oh, I'll tell you. And I was like, okay. And, uh, <laughs> you raised your hand pretty quick there. Yeah. I was like, okay. Uh, all right. Go, go for it. But her answer was good. She said, well, sometimes when, when you're sitting at the chair, you know, you're almost finished telling me what, what we need to do for that appointment, but then you'll see another patient come in and you'll get so excited that they're there and you're like, hey, Jimmy, what's up? And and then we lose track of what I needed to do. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to work on that. But I guess I'll take it. If, if that's if that's her worst complaint about me, or at least that's the worst thing she'll tell me, right? <laughs> that's right. So yeah, Chris, in keeping with this, you know, I'm on your Facebook page right now and I can see that you've got 15,500 followers. Uh, I don't know of an orthodontist with more. Can you give us any thoughts or tips or, you know, where, where does that come from? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a long game strategy. And, and first, before we talk, you know, I know we're going to probably talk about a lot of marketing. I've only been out for four years now, a little more. So I don't have a lot of clinical experience relative to a lot of people. But let, let's make no mistake about this. My number one goal is to become a great clinical orthodontist. It's what I think about before I go to bed at night. It's what I think about in the morning. I want to become more efficient. I want to become the best clinical orthodontist possible. I'm very happy with my results. I'll, I'll stand behind them and I work hard for them. But no matter what we do, no matter how many patients you're getting in the door, this marketing stuff, this is fun. This is fun and it's cool growing your business and things like that. But I'll never lose sight of what's really important. That's getting great results. And I'm going to strive to be better at that every day. And I think we all should, especially in this environment. Yeah. Let's pause for a minute then and tell us a little bit, you know, what are the resources or in particular that you're using to kind of help or 
what have you been working on over the last four years to improve your clinical skills? Because you get out and I think it's a little bit hard to find a direction or a mentor. Sometimes it's like, well, I want to get better, but I don't know how. What, what have you done? Well, it looks like I've got a couple thousand mentors on, on these Facebook groups and that's helped me a ton. Visiting offices has been huge for me. I've visited literally since I've been a resident close to 30 offices and some of the biggest names in our in our business and some that maybe nobody's heard of, but that are great orthodontists. So really just relying on each other, visiting other offices, thinking about it. Thinking about it's the most important thing. We're taking pictures and I'm going at the end of the day, I'm looking at pictures. I'm trying to become more efficient. And that's something, you know, we might talk about later is, you know, I went to Jeff Kozlowski and Jamie Reynolds course, and that was very enlightening for me. It just showed me how, how much better I can be. And if you can save time for your patient and make things easier on yourself while still being honest with yourself and doing great work, man, that's a win for everybody. So I'm, you know, I guess you can say hell bent on becoming more efficient and becoming the best clinical orthodontist I can be. It's, it's a journey, but I'm enjoying it. Let's get back to Facebook here. Tell us a little bit about what your goals are with that and, and how you've been able to kind of grow your audience. I mean, I think that's what most people want is, you know, they put stuff out there, but if no one sees it, that doesn't really help anything. Yeah, and it's becoming more challenging. Facebook's definitely changing a lot. So, so we talked about how I opened from scratch. And, you know, when you open from scratch, that phone's not ringing that often. Every time we got a new patient, every time we got a new phone call, I'm like thinking my head, hey, is that a new patient? My, my receptionist, like if it is, she'd give me a thumbs up and I'd start air high-fiving people and everything, doing the air guitar and whatnot. So when these patients came in, I was pumped up. You know, this is working. This is my career coming into play and it, it, everything's coming together. So I decided, you know, every time we put braces on, we're gonna, I'm going to take some cool picture with my patient. At first, I was kind of nervous that people would think it was weird or creepy and that it wasn't professional, as they say, but it ended up working out. And now it's like, it's a, it's a rite of passage in our office. When you get your braces on, of course, everybody signs a waiver. Every now and again, they don't and we don't do it, but most people sign a waiver and that we can put it on social media and we take a picture with the patient and we say something, you know, nice about them, try to make it as personal as possible. And yeah, that kind of just took off. Now, if we forget, like the patient's going to let me know, hey, like, hey, you forgot my picture. Another thing when, you, when you're opening from scratch is you don't have a lot of money to buy a lot of artwork. So I had this big wall and I decided instead of putting artwork on it, we're going to put my logo on it. We're going to get everybody to sign the wall when they get their braces on. Of course, we're going to celebrate taking the braces off, but I don't have any patients that I'm taking braces off of yet at that point. <laughs> so uh, let's celebrate putting these bad boys on. We just try to encourage people to be themselves and we have fun taking these pictures. You know, when, when people's friends see this picture, like, who do you think they're going to think of when they need an orthodontist? I think they're going to think of us. So it kind of started out just as a fun thing. And then it became like, okay, we can use this for some serious marketing. So that's kind of what we do. I've seen, and I've learned more about Facebook. You know, I'm friends with Kyle Fagala. He knows all the technical aspects that I couldn't tell you about, but he and I talk all the time and about that type of stuff. So I've learned a lot, but really what I'm focusing on is just making sure people are happy. If it's something that they enjoy doing, it's going on social media. I mean, look, people put their dinner on social media, their workouts on social media. So everything that they love to do and everything that they're excited about, it's going up there. So, hey, let's make them excited about my office because that can help me too. So that's kind of what we did. I see a lot of orthodontists that seems like they hired a, a marketing company to put these silly like dental trivia up there, like things like that. And like patients, 
let's take a step back here. And I don't mean to be negative, but patients don't care how many times a day you should floss. They don't care what the ADA or AAO recommends. They care about how you make them feel. And if you make them feel like a part of your family and a part of your team and you make them feel appreciated, they are going to go to bat for you and they are going to get more people in your door. I would say that's our biggest draw to our practices is our patients. Yeah. And look, there's a big push for this for this external marketing and, and this and that. But let's not forget about our general dentist here, because that is a huge part of how how my practice has been successful. These dentists, you know, these patients are patients of the dentist forever, even before and after they see you. They're going back to that dentist. So you better make sure their experience is good. So the dentist is going to keep sending you patients and always keep the dentist in the loop especially on cases that aren't typical and and thank them. I mean, th- these dentists, they're humans too, just like us. And they like to be appreciated. And I really appreciate the ones that, that really gave me a shot, you know, right off the bat when they knew nothing really about me or, or my skills. It, it's all, it all has to come together. It seems like when you have a successful Facebook page, that's really kind of a reflection of the atmosphere and the culture that's going on inside your office. And I know that's something that you've really worked to create. I mean, I don't think you can have an awesome Facebook page and kind of a crappy office culture, right? I agree. And and that's another thing. If you see my pictures, you'll see me like doing handstands and crazy stuff with the patients. And, and that might not be your personality. I would tell everybody that you have to be yourself. Obviously, these patients are choosing your practice and choosing you. So... Don't be scared to to be yourself and you don't have to do the same things I'm doing. It, it might not work and it wouldn't work for me if I was doing what you're doing, but just show off who you are. You want every post that you put up to show part of who you are. You're telling a story, man. You're telling the story of your life and what's important to you and what matters to you. So just make it good. And like you said, that office culture has to match what they see on Facebook. Because if they see all these crazy pictures on Facebook and you come in the console room and you're like timid, then it's not going to work and, and vice versa. If they see just these even keel laid back posts with you with patients and you go in there like a wrecking ball, then that they're going to know something's off. So you just be yourself. I, I remember when I first opened the office, I was like, well, you know, should I should I tuck my shirt in? Should I wear a collared shirt and tie? Should I dress up? And And that works for some people. That's some people feel comfortable like that. But me, like if I tuck my shirt in. I feel like I'm taking life too seriously. It's just not my style. So I started wearing scrub tops and tennis shoes. I actually, for a second, questioned whether that was going to lose patience for me. But it hasn't. You know, I just said, you know what? I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that doesn't mean you're less professional if you're not dressed as nicely or anything like that. To me, professionalism is how you make people feel and, and excelling at your job. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Sure, sure. The other thing I've seen, Chris, that you've got going on is you're working with this photo booth and it seems like you're getting some pretty good use out of that. My fear has always been I buy something like that and it would just kind of sit there like some of my other failed purchases. But what what have you done to make that a successful investment? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. So the photo booth has been humongous for me in my practice. Um, I use the photo booth from, from Digital Sign ID. I don't get paid by them. I don't get discounts from them or anything like that. But I do brag on them because I feel like they take care of me as a customer, kind of like I try to take care of my patients. The photo booths can, there's different packages. I think they run between two and $4,000. And then there's like a monthly fee for their app and support. I got the photo booth thinking that I would just put it in my office and it would be a hit. And it wasn't at all. People didn't just jump in it and take pictures. Yeah. But I've always felt like a, a, I want it to be a strong part of, of my community. 
And so when people ask you to go to events and donate things and this and that, like we've always said yes to donations, but we kind of try to one up and say, you know what? We'll bring our photo booth to your event. And that is where it can really be a hit. Last night we went to one. It was at a a local school. They have a, a yearly spaghetti supper. We brought it over there. And I mean, over a hundred children are in there taking pictures. I can't go to every one of them, but I, I am there at most of them. And I think that's also important. I mean, my team is great. They do an awesome job, but the doctor being there, getting to meet these families, I think can be very important. So I've gotten to meet so many people through this. And next thing you know, you'll see them in the office. I think it's been good for immediate return, but I think it's going to be great for future returns because a lot of these events are, you know, for eight and nine year olds, seven year olds that might not be quite ready for braces or not ready to come in. But I I believe that it's all about that top of mind awareness. I believe that whenever they think about orthodontics, they're going to think about us if we made a good impression. Right. The actual photo booth, I don't mess with the printer. I, I have not printed one single photo. You can text the picture right to their phone. You know, our backdrop has our logo all over it and you can customize the layout to put the logo for their event and put like photos provided by Feldman Orthodontics. It's a really good thing. And then you can have people sharing those pictures all over Facebook. So it kind of circles back to the Facebook thing. That's how they're getting the pictures is you're texting them to them, but then they're, they're kind of watermarked or logoed in the background with your stuff. Yeah, that's it. And it, it's so simple. And I, I've literally uh, gone to probably, I've had this thing for about three years and I would say over 50 events with it. And it, it makes a difference. And, and you're not going to get 10, 15 patients from one event immediately. But if I get one or two patients from that, number one, it's already worth it right there. But number two, that's more patients that I have the ability to maybe get their friends to come in. Every patient is a potential referral source. So uh, I believe it just will keep on growing. I think you've answered my question. My, my fear is it would sit there in the office, but I love how you're getting out there and you're using it all over the community. Yeah, if you're going to get it, take it out of the office and go get out there in your community and turn some heads. Another little tip, if you do any any event that you go to in a community, photo booth or not, if there's kids there, bring some ice cream, get some dry ice and those little cheap little popsicles or ice cream. If you want uh, people at your booth, that's an easy way to do it. I hope that didn't sound creepy, but... Uh, <laughs> If, if you, I, I've had events where I had to cut kids off of ice cream because I'm like, you're on your sixth ice cream, kid. You're going to have a stomachache. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, all right, let's talk about something else here. You know, from your photos and, you know, you're, you're always bragging on your team online. It seems like you guys really get along well and you're a cohesive unit. You know, you're kind of a new office, but what are your thoughts on how, how do you train a team? How do you treat your staff? How do you get the right people in the right seats on the bus? Well, that's something I I take a lot of pride in. You know, there's no cookbook on how to get a great team. And I feel like a lot of us stress out over our teams at times. And and I've seen some offices with a lot of turnover. I'm committed to making sure we get the right people in there. Uh, Right now, we have a team of nine. We have an office manager who also is a financial coordinator. We have a TC. We have two receptionists. We have four assistants. And we actually just hired a fifth assistant. I believe that you should not hire people with experience. Um, I know that might sound silly to some, but out of my entire team, uh, only the office manager had experience and it was in a dental office that she had been in years ago. But other than that, none of them had any orthodontic or dental experience. The, a few of the assistants did go to orthodontic assisting school, but they hadn't actually worked in an orthodontic office. To me, 
to me, this is huge. You get to teach them your way of doing things. You, you know, it's a blank slate. There's not baggage. You get to hire the people you want to hire. And it is frustrating waiting for them to get really good at like assisting, especially that takes a while. I've seen it take anywhere from three to even nine months to really be able to keep up. Yeah, it takes some patience, but it, it's worth it in the long run. My, my team, I sing their praises all the time. They're some of the greatest people I've ever met. They're some of my best friends. And I look up to a lot of them. They're moms, they're sisters, daughters. They're awesome people. And I believe that we really all like each other. It's good to go to an environment where you like the people you're around. My office is a drama-free zone. If, if there is anything, any drama between them, I, I don't know about it, but I haven't ever felt that any of that was going on. And I believe it's, it's the culture. We started out with three of us in there and we sit, you know, the next one that came in, we taught her exactly how we wanted things to be done. And we, we were kind to her and positive reinforcement all the time. And it, it's kind of built on that. So yeah. And another thing, w- what I recently started doing with how we hire is we do group interviews and I can't speak highly enough about doing group interviews. They can save time and they can definitely get you somebody that's going to click with your office. Yeah. Any candidate for a position, they're going to come in, they're going to have their act together. They're going to have answers rehearsed and they can tell you what you want to hear. But when you put 10 applicants in a room together and you start asking questions, the one that's right for your job is going to stand out because, you know, there's going to be some of them that just sit there nervous and quiet. You don't want to hire them for a, a job that deals with people, right? Right. And then you'll have the one that wants to be the center of attention that talks way too much and stands up. Hey, look at me. And, uh, we only have one of those in, in our office and that's me and I can't fire myself. <laughs> so, uh, we've done this a few times now and it's worked out so well. When we do it, it's not just me interviewing, it's me and my office manager and my treatment coordinator. And every single time when we pick our favorites, we all have the same exact favorites. Yeah. Yeah. We'll narrow it down to about four or five of them. We'll get those in for a working interview. You know, then we'll narrow it down to one and, and get them in there and do a 90 day uh, probationary period. We did the group interview just for our most recent hire. I hired two assistants about a month ago and it was our first time doing the group interview and I loved it. It was just exactly how you said. You got to see different sides of people and then I had other staff involved in the process. We all kind of came to the same conclusion and it just saved so much time. It was insane. Right. And, and I tell every single hire that we have, like, look, I know you're probably going to try to to make sure I notice that you're doing a good job, but it's not me you have to impress. You have to impress my team. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much I like that the applicant. If my team doesn't like them, then it, then it doesn't, it, it's worthless. So I kind of let my team kind of guide me with that. And they've been great at picking people that fit with our culture. And when you empower your team like that, they take a lot of ownership in the office. It's It's incredible to see. I mean, my team... Like I say, I can't, I feel like a proud dad or something, but I can't brag on them enough. I have to tell them to go home if they're sick because they will not leave each other hanging. They don't miss work. They stay late if they need to. If one assistant's running behind, the other one picks up her slack. It's been awesome. And I try to do as much as I can to show them that I appreciate them. You know, of course, anybody wants to be paid well, and that's important, but there's other things you can do aside from giving money that are of value. Positive reinforcement works. I try to buy my team lunch at least once every two weeks. Just sitting together as a, as a group eating together is, is very great at team building. Conferences. You know, how many times have we gone to a conference 
and we've come back so motivated and so pumped up. We learned all this new stuff. We're going to do this and that and this. And the team, they don't know what you learned. They don't know what you saw. How can you expect them to implement these systems without them seeing it? So that's one thing I've recently been doing a lot of. Like I said, I brought my entire team to uh, the Reynolds and Kozlowski course, and it was eye-opening for them and me. I brought them all to the fish mine course in, in Pensacola. That was great. They got to go in Dr. Ben's office and see how they do things. And it, it just, w- when we came back, it wasn't me coming up with the ideas of what we needed to do. It was them. Oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. That's, that's how you really get some momentum going. I look for, you know, yeah, it's expensive to bring a whole team to, to somewhere, but every now and again, you can find a place that's easy to get to. Maybe you can drive. Maybe it's a cheap flight. I think it pays itself back tenfold. If not in directly in, in money by doing better in the office, at least in happiness, because uh, they really appreciate it. I, it was it's crazy. Like two of my two of my team members had never flown before we went to Chicago. <laughs> that was amazing, you know, to see their reaction to being on a plane. Oh, it was funny. Yeah, cool. So let's switch gears here a little bit. You know, I know you're very active in uh, a lot of our online Facebook groups, and you're oh, yeah. you're you're <laughs> passionate. You you know, maybe even opinionated about what's going on in our profession. You know, there's lots of changes going on. What what do you think about you know kind of where we are in in terms of how we interact as a profession, you know, where where we're going, how we need to kind of address the problems that are in front of us. Man, I could I could probably try to write a book on my thoughts on this. But um yeah, I mean, look, unless you've been living under a rock, you you know there's been a lot of changes in our in our industry and there's probably going to continue to be uh those changes. And you know, a few years ago when I when I wasn't lucky enough to have momentum and have patients coming in like I do now, that was very scary to me. Obviously, it seems like a lot of these advances are leaning towards taking out the middleman, taking out the orthodontist. You know, everybody talks about the, the do-it-yourself at-home aligners and how the aligner market is growing. And that's great. Look, I think we need to embrace aligners. The aligner market is growing. But I think we kind of forget that the braces market is growing too. Orthodontists are doing a better job as a whole than we ever have at making braces affordable. There are millions and millions of people that uh, want excellent results and they, they want their bites corrected. They want their smile arcs ideal. They don't know the technical terms, but they know that they want the best. There's so many parents out there that want the best that money can buy for their kids and that can afford it. I do believe technology is, is improving and we absolutely have to adapt. We absolutely have to keep our eyes open and be open to change. But let's not be scared. There's only one person that's going to make or break your success. And more importantly, that's going to make or break your happiness. And and that's you. It's it's not a product. It's not a company. It's not a competitor. It's not a guru that knows the future. And we're not all going down if we don't do X, Y, and Z. It's you. You got to wake up every morning focused on what you're doing. Know your purpose and, and give it your all. And hey, let's not forget to smile. We're giving people amazing smiles. Don't forget to smile yourself. The sky is not falling. We are strong. Orthodontics is one of the greatest professions there is. We're not going anywhere. So let's just have fun and keep on rocking and rolling and learning and getting better and going on cool conferences and having a blast. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you, Chris. This is this is awesome. And I think I think you're right. I think there are changes. I think things are coming. But I think that someone who's willing to engage with patients to deliver quality results, there's always going to be a place for that in the marketplace. And and I also think that with the rise of aligners, I still think braces, I mean, what do you think? Do you think braces are still going to be a cool thing to have? Or maybe is it only only the cool kids get aligners? Well, look, we can we can always speculate. And, and the truth is, we only practice where we practice. Where I'm at, the aligner demand isn't high. But there are certainly people who come in and want aligners. But people love braces. I mean, it's a status symbol and people like it and they like the colors and things like that. But, you know, even if everybody wanted aligners, the fact of the matter is, Everybody's not responsible enough to wear aligners. Adults are children. There's a lot of them. I mentioned aligners because I think some cases should be treated with aligners. And, you know, the patient's like, oh, no, I would never wear that. I'm like, okay, that's fine with me. And I'm not trying to down aligners at all. Like I've said, I've done everything I can to become as great with aligners as possible. And I do believe it's going to continue to be a growing part of our practices. But I don't think braces are going anywhere. I mean, look, Kids are kids. If kids got everything they wanted, they, they wouldn't do homework and they'd eat ice cream and Girl Scout cookies all day. But they're not always as responsible as we'd like them to be. And non-compliant appliances are, are the way to go for a lot of them. Yeah. You know, so, so I think we're safe whether you're doing all aligners, whether you're doing all braces, whether you're doing a mix of them. I think you're good to go. I think you'll be all right. <laughs> Let me finish with this. What advice would you have, Chris, for someone maybe who's in our profession, but who's who's struggling a little bit? I had a I had an email from someone on this very topic. You know, they're they're doing well, but they just feel like they're not quite finding their place. Maybe they're hearing interviews with all of these orthodontists who seem to be just killing it and just on top of the world and everything's awesome, but maybe they're not quite feeling that way. What advice would you give to someone who's in that situation? Well, I think you just have to kind of evaluate what your goals are. I mean, let's face it, like we all can't be the top of our profession. You know, my practice is not huge. It's not, there's practices that belittle mine, but I'm happy with the amount of patients I'm getting. If I never grow anymore, I'll be okay. I just think we have to know what our goals are, how we want to live our life, how we want to treat our patients, how big we want our, our office to be, but also let's be realistic. If you're at a place where, where there's extreme overhead, there's places that you can get by with less overhead. So you don't have to start quite as many patients to get by. I don't think there's a, a right answer, but I think that all of our problems, every single problem we have, unless it's like a, a health problem or something like that, every problem we have is something that we can fix by really looking in the mirror and determining what we can do better. Maybe you're not getting as many patients because you're so focused on the clinic that you forget about the patient having a good experience. Maybe you're, you're great with the patients, but you really haven't focused on your work. Your reputation's slipping because you're not providing people with the best retention or best results. I just think we have to gauge where we are and why we're there and, and where we want to be. But we also have to appreciate what we have. In South Louisiana, um, th- there's been a, a big recession in the oil field. Uh, you know, we're, we're very dependent on the oil field here. A lot of my patients come from the oil field. My best friend, in fact, his wife's having a baby any week now. He works 21 and 7, 21 days on, 7 days off in West Texas. You know, and, and look, he's got it good relative to some other people in this country. But to see him fight so hard for their family and work so hard, he's a stronger man than I could ever be. Um, we can't take our jobs for granted. You don't have to have 
10 chairs in your practice. You don't have to start a thousand cases a year to be successful. For the most part, I think we're all successful. And if we're not really uh, getting there, just look in the mirror, take a step back, figure things out. There's a change you can make that can help. And Lord, if I could help you, call me. If I could ever talk to you about it, I, I'm here for you. I can't promise I have all the answers, but I promise I'll listen. And I promise that we have a, an amazing network of very supportive doctors that have probably been through what you, you've been through. You can find one of them who has. And there's so many of them that are there to, to listen. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I've been involved with, with our community, with our orthodontic community, because it's helped me so much. So, so I would say it could help you too, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great. Chris, let's jump into our lightning round here. We're going to ask eight questions and get some quick answers from you. Does that sound okay? Sounds good. <laughs> let's, let's go. All right. Let's go. What's your go-to treatment for full step class twos? Well, upper buys if the maxilla is too big and Mara if the mandible is too small. Perfect. <laughs> What's your standard retention protocol? Oh man, I'm glad you asked this. Probably the best pearl I've learned on any of these groups is uh, the clinical pearl at least is Neil Kravitz and Jeff Shirk's lower three to three with OrthoFlex Tech. I use those on every patient. So I'll go upper Essex, upper two to two with Bondabraid if need be, upper one to one with 018 Steel if need be, lower three to three with OrthoFlex Tech, and I'll put an Essex over both of them just so I know I've covered myself and done what I needed to do. Perfect. Belt and suspenders. I love it. That's right. Who are your role models or mentors? Oh man, I could talk for hours about this. Um, let me, let me, let me hit you with the quick and dirty. Uh, first, Dr. Steve Searcy, who practices kind of close to me, he let me work in his office while I was getting my office up and running. And he kind of showed me what it takes to really care about patients. He's a phenomenal orthodontist. His finishes are amazing. My buddy, Dr. Dave Gidry, who also maybe a lot of people haven't heard of on the websites, but he and I went to dental school together and he was better than me at everything. And then we kind of went to ortho different schools, but on the same track. And he practices close to me. We haven't gotten in each other's way. He's just an inspiring guy, a great friend and a good person to have to talk to. Dr. Ben Fishbein, everybody knows Ben. He and I went to residency together and he has supported me so much. His office is amazing. I mean, he's just so uplifting. He actually took me to Miami to a meeting of the minds. And that's where a lot of my, my eyes kind of opened up. And at that meeting, I met... My brother, Sheldon Salins and Al Jackson, we all live on different parts of the country, but we are great friends. We talk almost every day in text. I visited San Francisco to see Sheldon. I visited Charlotte to see Jackson. He's come to my house. He held my baby. You know, he's, he's like a brother to me. And these guys, we always talk shop, can share anything we want, numbers, how we did this month, what's going wrong. The, the other day, Sheldon texted me, he said, hey, how's it going? And I was messing with him. I said, it's going terrible, man. And he uh, he called me immediately. And I was like, dude, I was just joking, but I got to go. I'm seeing patients. <laughs> but uh, he, he's the man. And then Kyle Fagala, social media guru. He's always helped me with that type of stuff, with the technical aspects of it. Reynolds and Kozlowski, best course I've been to. Those guys are bad men in a good way. They are awesome. They know what it takes to run a practice and they're great people. Cause I really like Jeff. I really like there's one person who I would like to emulate their practice and their lifestyle. It's him. He loves his team. He, he knows how to run an efficient practice. Anil and Cole, two of the most inspiring and unique people that I've ever met. Uh, I'm jealous because they're both cooler and more popular than me. But I can live with that. Uh, they're awesome. <laughs> and uh, Dr. John Nista, who, if you haven't heard of him, you should get to know him. He's like in his 60s, but you would think he's 30 with all this energy. 
I visited his office and he saw 120 patients while talking to me. His work is excellent and he's done everything and he's just a humble guy and always there to help me. And uh, last but not least, Lance, uh, it's, it's people like you, man. I really appreciate you doing this podcast. It's very rare to see somebody, especially in our profession, because we all like to make money, but it's, it's very rare to see somebody who really wants to help their colleagues. And you've always been, you know, we've been in these groups together for a long time and you've seen, you know, me getting arguments and everything like that. And, <laughs> you know, you've always been even keel and always positive and always nice to everybody. And you truly want the best for our profession. And you put in so much work to this without taking a dime. And I know people probably tell you all the time, but if, if it's been a little while, I'm here to tell you what you're doing is amazing and you're helping out lots of orthodontists. And uh, I, I really thank you for that. And it, it means the world to me and a lot of other people. I, I appreciate that. It's so rewarding for me. That to, was a long answer, huh? That was a long answer, but <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, 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 it's good. It's good. Uh, I just, I really enjoyed these connections, but uh, let's get back to it here. What do we have? A few more questions, right? A few more questions. This is good. What is your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? Well, I, I guess the product is, is that retainer, man, that lower three to three. It's so easy. Before I got out of ortho school, I didn't know what my retention protocol was going to be or specifically how I was going to do lower fixed retainers. Cause you know, I see some people take the impression and they're bending wire and this and that. And man, it's so easy. I literally, I've done hundreds of them and I've only had like two of them break. And then when you throw Essex on top of it, I, I think the lower fixed retainer does a great job of holding those rotations when it's bonds every two, three to three. But when you throw an Essex over, you can be confident that your, your transverse isn't going to collapse and you got your rotations covered. And, and look, let's be honest, a lot of those kids and, and even adults are going to throw away their retainers, but those fixed retainers, they're, they're going to hold up and they're so easy to place. It literally takes two minutes. And I just looked this up for our listeners. If people want to reference that article, they can just Google Kravitz bonded lingual retainers. It's the first result. It's hosted on Neil's website. That'll give you all the details on that. So that, I, I agree. That's a great retainer. It's legit. If you hadn't tried, I feel like I'm peer pressure people here, but just do it. You got to do it. Once you do it, you're hooked. Chris, what's the best vacation you've ever taken? Well, I'd have to say my trip to Las Vegas where I met my wife. <laughs> either, either that or our honeymoon. For, for our honeymoon, we went to Paris. We went to uh, South France. We went to Munich, which Munich was so cool, maybe because I love beer, but we had a blast over there and we went canyoning in Switzerland and my wife laughs at me because I was so scared of everything, uh, you know, uh, repelling off yeah. this, this 200 foot cliff. When they asked for volunteers to go first, she jumped up and volunteered herself and I was, I was sitting there trying not to pee in my pants, <laughs> but, uh, it was a blast. It was a great, it was a great trip. Awesome. What's one great book you've read recently? Man, Lance, I I'd be lying to you if I told you I read often, uh, cause I don't. <laughs> Well, with, with our new baby, we, uh, you know, it's kind of, I, I wake up at four in the morning, I go work out, I go to work, I get back later than I want to, and I have like an hour with my son, and I play with him, put him to bed, and then me and Krista hang out for a little while, and then it's bedtime, and it's time to start all over, and then in between there, I'm on Facebook reading a lot of Facebook uh, articles and a lot of orthodontic stuff on Facebook, but I do remember um, Say Yes to Treatment by Landy Chase talks a lot about top of mind awareness and that that made a big mark on me so sure chris what bracket system are you currently using in your practice armco mini twin for the win i think they're simple they're good brackets they're affordable i do use damon every now and again when i think the case would run a little better on damon for me mini twin is the way to go 
and I use Damon wires. I like large arches because I know I'm holding the, the transverse at least, or at least trying to with Essex. I feel like that's a good combination for me. And what's one area of orthodontics that you want to learn more about? Uh, the TMJ. I think, you know, sometimes people come in with these weird TMJ problems and, you know, that's just something I would like to expand my horizons on. Chris, this has been one of the most fun interviews I've done in a while. I think your energy is is coming through. Oh, man. You're too kind. People are going to hear this, and uh, they're gonna if they haven't already, they're going to want to meet you. So I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and taking some time. Well, man, I really appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. And like I said, if, if anybody out there, if you're having a bad day, if you need somebody to talk to, shoot me a message. I'll, I'm here for you, and I know we have a lot of colleagues that are there to support you and just keep your head up, keep smiling, and, and we, we got it great, man. We, we have a lot to be thankful for. Let's, let's just pay that forward. I agree. I agree. Chris, we'll talk to you again soon. Have a good day. Oh, thank you so much, Lance. Have a great day. All right, guys. That was a blast, wasn't it? Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of our podcast. I want to thank Dr. Feldman for coming on the show today and talking with us a little bit. I'd also like to thank the sponsor of today's podcast, the Aligner Intensive Fellowship. Check them out at alignerfellowship.com. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.